Hey, if you guys are listening, hopefully you liked what you heard with the 911. Again, Morgan here of Murph and Morgan, Game of Crimes. What we're doing is we took the month of December off, uh, but we're replaying some of our favorite content. And this one is one of our most favorite things to do. It's our Q&A, our question and answer, where you, the players, the people out there, you give questions for Murph and I to answer. And Murph, we take all questions, right? Anybody who sends something in, throws it over the fence, we answer it. Absolutely. We haven't turned down a single question from our listeners yet. And it's everything from from podcasts. We ask for opinions on what we can do better, what you don't like, what you do like, that kind of stuff, to investigations, to <laughs> how we do the, uh, uh, what's the one thing where they throw two things out, the uh, quick. Uh, oh, yeah. No, it's it's uh, it's uh, one of our buddies. Yeah, we do uh, the um, um Basically, the quick answer thing, you know, the quick. What is it called? My God, we can... it's things like the like fi- rapid uh, fire, rapid, rapid fire questions. questions. There you go. Yeah. So nothing's off the table. Check it out. You're getting ready to hear. And we're getting so old, we can't remember what it is we do because we've done so much <laughs> at Patreon.com/slash Game of Crimes. Once again, that's Patreon.com/slash Game of Crimes. If you guys like nine one one, you're going to love Q and A. So get ready to play the biggest, baddest, most dangerous game of all. The we answer every question. Game of Crimes. And don't forget to join us back here for regular episodes on January 2nd, 2023. All right, people, it is that time once again. It is the September Q&A. For Murph and Morgan on Patreon, welcome, 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 welcome to our players. Of course, you guys have figured this out, who this is. I am the most recognizable, unpaid Tommy Bahama brand ambassador in the world, Morgan Wright. <laughs> That's a damn good way to put it, too. <laughs> <laughs> Everything I got on today is Tommy. By the way, Fred Nicolosi, we'll have some questions from him. Fred just posted a picture about he's got a new Tommy Bahama shirt, but in LSU colors. I said, yeah, they're available now for half price after losing to FSU. So, Oh, oh. well, they got a new coach. <laughs> <laughs> and they still lost. Yeah. Yeah. yeah hey, well, this, is, this is oh, Murph. No, go ahead. Welcome back. Hey, You're who again? You. This who are you Murph. again? I'm Murph. Murph. I'm, I'm Mr. Murph. Murph the Smurf. That's what Fred called me today, Mr. Murph. Mr. Murph. Yeah. Well, hey, guys, we got a lot of good questions in here. Um, and thank you once again. This heartfelt. Thank you, guys. Murph and I just had about a 15-minute discussion. We're trying to think about where we're going to take things. Yeah. Um, we had to have some honest discussions about the amount of effort that goes in versus the revenue being generated. We're not doing it f- just for the money, but at a certain point, you have to make some decisions about how much is the effort worth um, uh, versus how much we have to split. So that's on the podcast side. On the Patreon side, you guys are just uh, – we just adore you guys and appreciate the fact that you guys spend your time and money with us. Mm-hmm. And this is one of our ways to pay you back is we do something special for you, which is Q&A. This is and this is one of the favorite things that we do for me. Um, you know, I love the questions that you come in. We got some a couple of tough ones in here today, but we also got some funny ones. So this is going to be good. Oh yeah, Brooke has a tough question. Sandy's got a tough question up front, but we do have an answer. So let's kick this thing off. All right, the September Q and A. All right, this one starts off with our favorite mafia queen, Sandy Salvato. Mm-hmm. She also runs our Game of Crimes fan group. So go, go check Game of Crimes fans and join the group. Answer a couple of simple questions. Just get, folks get it in the ballpark. Just yeah, if you're it. breathing and have a heartbeat, and if you at least attempt to answer, um, entry shall be granted. <laughs> All right. First question from Sandy, and this is actually a really good one because this goes back to episode 60, uh, Natasha Hertzberg. 
And this is really good because I did some research on this for you, Sandy. So Sandy's question, I keep forgetting to send in this question. Apparently not. So now we have it here. So here it is for September. She travels a lot for Al-Anon conventions. Great for you. Uh, very well aware of that. Sisters, uh, we're very well aware of that. Let's just put it that way. I've spoken yeah. at three international conventions. I've heard that the FBI collects pictures of every hotel room in an effort to combat the sex trade. I want to know if this is true. If so, how do we submit pictures? The episodes with Natasha made me think about this again. Let me tell you what, that episode with Natasha, and um, I can't, I, I think I told you guys this maybe on the podcast or something, but I don't want to say where in my neighborhood, but in my neighborhood, I had a father and daughter approach me because the daughter was having problems with a boy high school. And I gave them some advice and information. But one of the things I told them to do was listen to episode 60. Have your daughter listen to episode 60. And they did. And he came back to me and he's like, oh, my God. Yeah. Wow. Freaking eye opener. So. But so it, in answer to your question, uh, Sandy, the FBI themselves do not collect pictures. And I don't know why. I think maybe at one time they did. They have a task force called Innocent Images, and they have what they called ICAC, Internet Crimes Against Children. FBI's got to do a better job marketing their stuff. You call a task force ICAC. It's like, OK, that that sounds ugh, it sounds like Ipecac, which is what you use to make people throw up. So it's activated charcoal. But I do have an answer for you. And I will post this uh, in the comments when we do this, but it's called trafficcam.com, T-R-A-F-F-I-C-K-C-A-M.com. And I did some searching and research on this to make sure that this was legitimate. So it was created in 2015. I've got some notes here. Created in 2015 by the Exchange Institute. The Exchange Institute, uh, they want to combat combat commercial sexual commercial sexual exploitation of children. So it was created uh, by a conference and meeting manager. However, though, it does include um, the uh, image lead, the research and development on traffic cam, uh, the application and image search was led by somebody named Dr. Abby St uh, Stilano and Dr. Robert Pless at George Washington University. So GW, that's out in our area here. And Dr. Richard Souvenir at Temple University uh, up in uh, Philadelphia. So two legitimate universities, two legitimate researchers. I checked out their names. I did some research to make sure that, hey, these are the right folks. They are. This is something that has listed on their university sites as well as stuff. So it's legitimate. Now, I will tell you, there are they, they've got apps out there that you can download. And one of the things you do is when, whenever you're someplace, you take a picture of it, you use location-based services because they want they want to be able to tie it. Okay, where's this picture being taken from? They don't want you to take a picture and say, well, I took it at the Motel 6 over here. Then they, we don't really know. So the one thing you have to be aware of, you have to use your location-based services. So a little bit of a privacy issue, but you do take pictures of the hotel rooms and you submit it and they do share that information. I don't know how they share it, um, or what avenues they share it, but I do know they do. But I will tell you this, uh, one of my friends, good friends who listens to our regular podcast, I don't know if he's on Patreon, the, the SOB, he makes enough money, he should be on Patreon. He works for Microsoft. He's the head. He's also a former firefighter. So that explains a lot. Oh, there you go. There you go. But uh, Rick Zach uh, at Microsoft, one of the things Microsoft does that they give away, they don't charge for, they maintain a database of child pornography images. But the way they maintain it is they use a cryptographic function called a hash value. So in other words, you apply this very sophisticated mathematical formula to a picture. It creates a unique identity. And then so if you get another picture like that that's been shared, 
rather than sharing the picture, which let me tell you, after training people in computer crime investigation, internet investigations, seeing some of this stuff, you don't want people seeing this stuff. It is some of the most horrendous, uh, um, it just the most terrible stuff you could see what, what people do to children. Yeah. And, um, so one of the things they do is, and because these pictures, if they're in the database, they have now been verified and they, they run them through what's also called the Tanner scale. It's a way to look at, uh, development of bones and everything else and, and determine, are they under a certain age? It's not a precise thing. It says, well, they're 12 years and three months old. But it's pretty clear you can look at something and go, that that child is 11 years old. They're in the age range of 10 to 12, or they're in the age range of 12 to 14. So it's used a lot in court to prove that the, chi- that the child was underage, so it becomes child pornography as opposed to just pornography. It's unbelievable. There's some sick, freaking people in this world. Mm-mm-mm. There are. So, Sandy, go to traffic, T-R-A-F-F-I-C-K, trafficcam.com. Uh, there's an app there you guys can download, not only Sandy, but anybody else. The only downside, uh, I looked at the updates on uh, the iTunes store and the Google store. It doesn't look like they'd updated a lot. Uh, and so I wonder sometimes, is it really being used? That's the only thing I could find. The FBI itself does not have a program. And I, I, actually, I can kind of tell you why. It would it would deal with issues of privacy and collecting certain kinds of information, um, and so the, I know that I know from working at the government, Steve, you do, you do, I mean, privacy impact assessments. Anytime you do something like that, where you're collecting information from the public, mm-hmm. the lawyers get involved. Oh yeah. How long are you going to store that? Are you going to store it more than a minute? Oh, you've got problems. Well, hey, you you're know, in the fusion center. I mean, you're running the fusion center. You know about all the privacy stuff. Oh man. We, and, and before that, I ran the office of special Intel for DEA and we had, uh, we were developing, uh, license plate readers. We had them deployed. Uh, and that just got real ugly. How long you're going to keep that information? You know, and a lot of that, I mean, some of the information we used not only was used for drugs, but it solved a murder case with our LPR information because our LPRs, DEA's LPRs, I guess I should say, um, not only took a picture of the license plate, but it took a picture of, the, of whoever was sitting in the driver's seat, took a, a, a front photo of the car, a side photo, and a rear photo. And also there was a, somebody that went through a checkpoint where a border patrol agent was and stopped. And of course he's looking at the car, but you know, this coming up next and the car backs over him and then hauls butt. And we were able to put a driver in that car for him to solve that case. So it's good systems, but then, you know, you want to keep this for evidentiary issues down the road, but man, the privacy people came in and just hammered our lawyers. And I think it got to where we were keeping it for a year or two years. So they came in and I think it was determined that you could only keep it for 60 days. Uh, it's just the freaking lawyers are taking over way too much. But let me tell you, Steve, how some uh, creative people got around this. Uh, I had some friends. In fact, we did an episode with him, Tommy Joyce uh, from NYPD and his uh, partner, Mike Preet. Um, he was working for a company at one time, Vigilant. They have the mm-hmm. largest private collection of LPR information. So one of the ways some creative agencies have got around it, they have access to the information, but it's not their information. They don't own it. They don't store it. So therefore, some of the same rules don't apply. Now, mm. what they do is they hammer you on accessing the information. Do you have a warrant? Well, it's public information. You know, uh, it's it's collected by Vigilant and other people. They actually use license plate readers to go out and scan cars for insurance. Are, do you not have insurance? Are they... Uh, or should we tow them, right? I mean, do they have so many tickets or, you know, should they be impounded? So there's a reason a lot of them go out and use LPR in addition to the 
uh, official, you know, government LPR or DEA LPR. So yeah, there's some creative ways, but Sandy, that's kind of a long way to come back around to say, that's one of the reasons why we think the FBI itself does not maintain that because it would deal then with privacy. What happens if one of the pictures you took had somebody in there? Then you would have to get a release from them. Um, are they 18 years old? Are they under 18? Oh my, I can just see, I can just, see, by the way, remember, the Department of Justice is the world's largest law firm. They stay in business for a reason by finding something to pick on. Hey, too, Sandy, uh, you know, just because you are our, our queen and, and you're here on Patreon and for our other Patreon listeners, we're trying to get um, an individual on here to have another episode on human trafficking, sex trafficking. Um, I'm not going to release his name yet because he hasn't agreed to it. His his secretary has uh, responded affirmatively and asked for dates. We've offered him some dates, and we're waiting to hear back for a confirmation. But uh, the stories that this guy is going to bring on, I saw him on. I got the idea. I was watching the Today Show one morning with my wife and saw this guy, and he's he's got a an operation. He's got a, a business that does this, and they were using a movie actress to pose as an underage girl to set up perverts for these sex meetings. And then they work, you know, they turn it over to local police and local police are there and, and make the bus. But there's a lot more going on than that. So uh, just to give you a heads up, we haven't forgotten about this. It's one of the most important issues we've ever had on, on our podcast. And we're not going to give up on it. We're going to continue to bring it to everybody's attention as much as we can. So um, your questions are always appreciated. Uh, what was, I saw something on Facebook and I never responded to you that uh, I'm recommending. Oh, she said, I remember you saying, Sandy, that you said, Steve Murphy is saying, don't go on TikTok. Now, first of all, Steve Murphy does not tell the queen what to do. The <laughs> queen is the queen, Sandy. So you the boss. <laughs> but, but, the, me, but the other thing is TikTok, uh, stay away from it. <laughs> it's just a warning. Yeah. I, Chinese run. They run the algorithms. Uh, heard some yep. very interesting things about TikTok. We actually should go a little dip, in depth on that on a later episode. But well, we, we shall had, do that. Remember we had Aaron Turner on here. Aaron yeah. Turner is one of the smartest men I've ever met in my life. And and I asked him what's the biggest Chinese threat against the United States. He didn't hesitate. He said TikTok. TikTok. So we'll, we'll dive into that later. We shall dive into that later. Here comes a question from another one of our longtime. Oh, yeah. Always full of questions. Fun guy, Frederick Nicolosi. Frederick, Mr. Frederick, he says, question for September QA. Mr. Murph and Mr. Morgan. You're always so nice. You can just call us Murph and Morgan, but uh have either of you guys heard of any new tactics that the DEA or other law enforcement agencies are using to try and cut down all these fentanyl poisonings? Thank you for saying poisonings and not just overdoses. Yes. Because yes. they really are poisonings. It really sucks hearing the news all the time that more lives are being lost because of this. I've heard reports, just like you guys have said many times over and over, that it's like a plane crash every day with these deaths. We shut down this country over a pandemic. So how is the fentanyl death not a pandemic? Well, so he's got all, a couple more Fred, questions. Yeah. Good freaking question. Why aren't we doing something about this? And, it, and you want to go first? You want me to? Cause I, you go first. All right. So sit back and get your pillow because this might take a minute. <laughs> I, it, you know, boy, you talk about a hot topic. This pisses me off so much. And, it, you know, if you, you want to somebody pissed off. Wait till we put out the episode with Derek Maltz. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you guys are going to love that. That's I think we're going to come up in a couple weeks, don't we? Yeah. Uh, let me look at our schedule here. And I'm not sure this is right, but yeah, probably two or three weeks from now. But um, DEA has, uh, they've got this new administrator, Ann Milgram, who has made fentanyl a priority for the agency. And I've heard her speak on TV a couple of times. I like what I'm hearing. 
I don't agree with everything she does, but you know what? I don't think I've met a boss yet that I agree with everything they do. And I'm sure when I was the boss, people didn't agree with everything I did. So she's got to run her shop the way she sees fit, but she has truly made that a a priority for DEA. They're making larger seizures uh, than ever before. But the same token, what are we doing to fight the Mexicans on this? You know, you got that president down there who he says, Less bullets, more hugs. And that's no shit. That's his, that's his motto. Less bullets, more hugs against these cartels who are just raping and torturing and kidnapping and killing innocent people, not other drug traffickers. They do that also, but just innocent people. They, they pull in and they block off roads to these smaller towns so people can't escape, and then they go in and massacre them. So uh, how can you say less bullets, more hugs? Um, and then our, you know, our friends, the Chinese are providing all the precursor chemicals for that. So we need to be addressing it at both, both, uh, levels, you know, in both countries. Is that going to stop it? No, because they're, they're, the criminals are, have enough resources, resources at their, uh, fingertips and they're resilient enough that they can survive just about anything we can throw at them. And that's sad, but that's the difference between the good guys and the bad guys. We take an oath to, Honor, defend the Constitution. We take an oath to abide by the laws. They don't have those things, you know. And I'm not. I'm not saying let's let's not abide by the laws by any means, because that's what makes us different than them. But man, you're you're dead on. Um, I've I've been working with the uh, there's a nonprofit called the DEA Educational Foundation. You've probably heard me talk about it on here before. They offer after school programs for kids in high-risk cities, like kids that maybe only have one parent and the parent works or both parents work and they have to go home to an empty house, which is never good. You know, the temptation from peer pressure is to go out and hang out with the guys on the street. So it offers a place for them to go. And it's dance programs, it's sports events, it's karate. Uh, I've been supporting them for quite a while. And now they have teamed up this year with Big Brothers Big Sisters. So I've done several, I think I've done three or four uh, virtual events with them. I got to speak at their national conference this year with uh, Julie Redkay, who has a phenomenal story herself. I mean, of, of self-resilience and perseverance and, uh, and the worst odds possible when your parents uh, is a drug addict. Maybe we can get her on the show sometime. She's fin- I, I got her to tell her story in Indiana, in Indianapolis at the National Big Brother, Big Sister Conference. First time she's ever told it. I had tears in my eyes, tears running down the cheeks of people in the audience and when they, when she finished, not, I mean, everybody was on their feet, coming up, wanting to console her, give her hugs, you know, give her words of encouragement. Um, and that's a little bit off topic, but it, it, it all comes in together. What are we doing? What are the, what the heck are we doing? You know, the, 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 uh, and I think it, is it Fred's the second question about the airplane? You know, the, and I use that, I stole that from, uh, with his permission, a guy named Bob Stutman, who's a retired DE agent who runs a big, I think he's a lawyer in New York City now. Bob is very active in trying to get the word out on fentanyl. And he said, you know, when, when a plane goes down, the seven, was it the 737s? We shut down every 737 in the world until they figured out what happened to that plane because of one plane crash. Well, we've got the equivalent of one or more planes crashing every freaking day with the number of deaths due to fentanyl and prescription drug overdoses, counterfeit medications, why haven't we shut it down? Why, you're right, Fred. Why haven't we declared a pandemic? The numbers aren't going down. They're getting bigger and bigger. We went over 100,000 overdose deaths yep. and poisonings last year. Just frustrating. 
Yeah, well, technically, it's not a pandemic. Uh, I mean, I'm not I'm not trying to mince words. I'm just saying they can't call it a pandemic because it's it's not it's not a disease and stuff. There's pandemic, uh, you know, uh, endemic, and they go through all of these different things about um, you know in terms of the outbreaks and stuff. I think we have to come up though with the the reason I say that is we got to come up with a different word and a different category for this because to your point, Steve. What would the public outcry be if a plane was crashing every day and, and the government did nothing about it? Absolutely, absolutely. Our country would shut down. The world would shut down. Well, there is there are some things the president can do. Uh, Congress can do. You can do things like uh, make a presidential finding. I think we've talked about this before. Call something a clear and present danger, mm-hmm. uh, and dedicate resources and assets to it. Uh, I'll tell you what. Um, Make no mistake about this. This comes from a book called Unrestricted Warfare, written by two Chinese uh, PLA military officers. And this is part of what they do. They make it somebody else's problem. China, they, on the outside, they said, oh, yes, we're going to make it illegal to send these uh, uh, chemicals and, and fentanyl to the United States. They, did, they didn't address Mexico. So where's right. all this stuff go to? So you have the drugs, you have the money, you have the distribution, you have the sales. So, you know, you've got to figure out how do we interrupt this? Um, the the easiest answer, but the toughest answer to do is if people would just quit taking this stuff. Oh, yeah. See, they've got to address that. you got to yeah. address that demand issue. Well, and that's that. But the people, but nobody wants to address the demand issue because they're like, well, why aren't you going after the drug traffickers? I don't know. If if you quit drinking and driving, we wouldn't have drunken driving deaths. We wouldn't mm-hmm. have people dying from DUI, right? So it's very simple. Don't drink and drive. Yeah. Um, it's very easy to measure that. Um, we have a lot of things around that. Part of this, too, is it, 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 I'll tell you why. I came up with another theory around this, and it, it really evolved around the thing is why do certain events – we've talked about Uvalde, and I, I kind of talked about this, too. Uvalde got a lot of attention, as it should have, because you had somebody – came in, massacred, killed kids, killed teachers. Um, you had a collection of deaths at a one place at one time. Um, but yet you will have the same number of people killed over a weekend in Chicago mm-hmm. or two or 200, what do we say to Murph, like 250 a day or something like that die from fentanyl? It's uh, Yeah, it's, no, it's higher. It's almost 300 a day now. But if we have 300, if 300 people died in one place at one time from the same cause, be worldwide news. But you when know, 300 people die spread out across the United States in 50 different states, 3,200 mm-hmm. counties, 19,000 cities, it doesn't make the news. Why? Because they don't all happen at the same place at the same time. The people are no less dead. There's no less number of people dying. It just it doesn't happen a way for the news to report it. So the news, to me, is as culpable as the, – they have some culpability, I say, as well as the people taking this because they they – they bring to the national attention, which you do. That's what you report on the news. But where is the daily? We 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 track daily deaths from COVID. Where's the daily tracker from deaths from fentanyl? Yeah, you know, and there's uh, actually CDC is starting to break that out a little bit, but it's you know, it's taken a while. And fentanyl's been around for a long time. Yeah, as a drug, uh, an abused drug, um, and it's, so it's a category two drug on the on the drug control substance scale because it does have a medicinal purpose. But, you know, when I had my knee surgery there a few months ago, they gave me a shot of fentanyl. Before they did, I'm like, have you got Narcan standing by here just in case? Well, you know, cocaine is a Schedule II drug, too. It has medicinal use in yeah. operations and stuff. Um, yeah. But, you know, we were just talking about Derek Moss. He's going to tell a story. I won't 
talk too much about. I just want to mention it, that he met a father whose child died from a fentanyl overdose. But the father, here's his, his explanation. Oh, yeah, I knew my son. He was out doing recreational cocaine. You know what kids do. Well, you're the father and you knew that and you didn't address it? And then the kid took coke that was laced with fentanyl and overdosed. Well, I, there's, there's more than just one problem there. You know, why don't the, uh, as a parent, and I'm, you, know, you and I are parents, most, I think most of our listeners are parents, we have a responsibility to, to raise our children and teach them what's dangerous and what's not dangerous. We're supposed to be teaching them right from wrong. And then the other thing is this defund the police crap that's going on out there, trying to get rid of police officers. That's the biggest joke. You know, go talk to people that live in dangerous communities you know, like Chicago, that that just don't have the financial resources to get out of it and see if they want to defund the police. That's yeah, the they only can't afford to move to a nice neighborhood, a gated community. They, they live in these areas because of socioeconomic factors, whatever you want to say, but they want more policing, not less policing. Yeah. And, and you know, I mean, you guys are, our, you're our favorite folks because you support us here on Patreon. But this defund the police thing, if, I will not vote for a single politician that says defund the police. And I'm, you know, I'm conservative, but I'm not a, I'm not one of those, uh, <laughs> I'm not a real right winger. I'm going to make my own mind up who I'm going to vote for based on the, the issues that they're talking about. But if that defund the police is on there. That's a, that's a non-starter. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, yeah. So Fred, that's kind of a, you know, we're going to go in depth with this on Derek Maltz. So stay tuned for that. You're going to love we'll him, that. Fred. <laughs> You're going to love him. <laughs> I'm telling you. Well, let's get to the next one. He goes, uh, Fred is in Texas. He says, one more question. I've really started to think about Governor Abbott sending undocumented immigrants to sanctuary cities. Um, uh, I'm going to just mince words for a second. Illegal aliens. I know everybody wants to be politically correct, but if you enter this country, you are technically everybody is an alien. You are a registered alien or an illegal alien. Um, and that's, that's just a matter of law. It's not a negative. It's not a pejorative. It's the way that, look, I'm in, when I go to the UK, I'm an alien. Mm -hmm. Um, but I'm a, I'm a documented alien. I'm there, you know, passport and everything. So, um, but they talk about sending them to sanctuary cities while he gets the concept. And, uh, so he asks the question, do you think the drug cartels will start using this as a way to get their people to these cities and distribute drugs or use people to help with the sex trafficking victims as well. But that's already being done before they even ship the buses, because guess what? Even without, if what Abbott's doing down there, he's really taking, it's called displacement. He's taking the problem and putting it in another location. Mm -hmm. um, we don't want to get into debate. Is that right? Is it wrong? It's happening. So you deal with the reality. The reality is that's the, that's the current reality. It's happening. So, um, but just to put it in context, I think it was New York or Chicago got like 800 uh, immigrants and they declared an emergency. Texas is getting 2 million a year. Yeah. So now, um, I think, uh, what's her name in DC starting to get them? Yeah. Um, Mariel Bowser. So yeah, um, yeah. Uh, up in this area and Lori Lightfoot, you know, and uh, um, uh, the new New York mayor. So they're starting to feel this now. I will tell you this, Fred, that is, I mean, that that's done they're getting the word out because the media is saying, oh, look, here come the buses or here's what's happening. The cartels are sending people to these cities anyway because that's part of the trafficking. They want to go someplace. Sometimes once they dump them over the border, that's it. That's all they care about. Yeah. Um, so I don't think the cartels have a plan to say, hey, let's get our people. Because they already done, once they get across the border, mission accomplished. But 
the people coming across the border that are being intercepted and voluntarily turning themselves in that are ending up on the bus, those, I, I worry about them, but the ones I worry about more are the gotaways, the ones that are not contacted by law enforcement. Because if you're contacted by law enforcement and you've got fentanyl, you're arrested. I mean, that changes the game. Yeah. Um, so, but I think, but I think, and from a sex trafficking standpoint, but realize a lot of these people coming across the border that are on these, uh, buses or that are be, that are being uh, trans that are being displaced in other areas many of them are single adult males mm-hmm. you know uh, so you look at the gotaways too there's a lot of those there the ones i worry about too about terrorists getting into the country um they've they've captured ms13 members that have that have uh, that are ha- have active warrants for murder they've captured people off the terrorist watch list coming across the border uh, these places so I don't think the busing is the issue. I, I think that is a political ploy designed to raise attention on an issue. And look, I feel, trust me, I feel sorry for Arizona, uh, for New Mexico, for uh, Texas, you know, the, the folks along the border mm-hmm. who are dealing with uh, just, it, it's a it's a huge issue. We're not going to get political on it. I'm just saying it's a huge issue. Anytime you've got 2 million people coming across the border and the, some state is expected to provide services and take care of all of them. I'm, I'm surprised it hasn't bankrupted Texas or uh, Arizona or places like that. You're right. And and this is a great question because it really makes you stop and think. Because when I first read it, I thought, well, you know, CBP is when these people are, are caught in Texas, they're interviewed individually, you know, they document their names and whatever information, of course, you know, a lot of them probably are not carrying any kind of paper to support what they're say their name is and so forth. But I'm thinking, well, that gives them if they're involved in sex trafficking or if they're being human trafficked, that gives them an opportunity to say, "Hey, I've been taken against my will," which you know, then the police would step in and protect them. But then, as I'm thinking that, I'm also thinking about Natasha's interview, where a Spider said, "Hey, yeah, let's go, let's go see what Mom and Dad's doing," and took her on surveillance. And he says, "If you ever, if you ever do me." See your dad right there, and he pulls out a gun. I will kill him. There was a, you know, she told us about an incident where another pimp, uh, which pimp is just another word for a scumbag, just so you know, where this pimp goes in and beats up the the one of his girl's families because she wanted to go home to her family. So then, you know, just this is evokes thoughts on this is very possible what you said, Fred. You know, let's just hope the cartels aren't smart enough to figure that out yet. But if they haven't yet, they will eventually. Yeah, um, but but now that's a good question. But look, that it's a complex issue, uh, and we're not going to do it justice in the short time that we talk about it here. Right. But just know that it's one of the things um, that concerns us greatly is about who's coming into this country and where are they going. Thought evoking questions. Thought evoking questions from Frederick, who uh, bought the wrong kind of Tommy Bahama shirt. It was in LSU colors. Uh, you can get them now half price. <laughs> hey, I like LSU. But I'm bump. Uh, hey, I can't. I'm a cool to talk. Well, it, Notre Dame lost to Ohio State, but everybody thought they were just going to get blown away. And let me tell you, it was it was a close game until like the last you know quarter. Um, yeah. But it was not the blowout. They did not score the points they wanted to. It was a great defensive, uh, great defensive game. Uh, West Virginia got beat by Pitt, which is horrible. But West Virginia kind of beat themselves. Hey, but you know what? Javier and I were in Alabama this week speaking to a law enforcement conference, and we actually went through Tuscaloosa. And we got the police officer picked us up as an old old friend, and uh, we got to stop there at the football stadium and take our pictures and 
Um, hopefully, we're going to get to meet maybe Coach Saban down the road. We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Nick Saban. All right. One more. He says, one more. I'm sorry. Never apologize, Fred. Don't say I'm sorry. This is what this is here for. Yeah, baby. It's it's like going to the dentist, you know, going to the doctor, say, hey, I'm sorry, uh, you know, for coming in here. I mean, I pay all this money for health insurance. I'm sorry I'm using it. You're paying for Patreon, Fred. Use it. This is what we're here for. Yep. Uh, one more. I'm sorry, but over the next five years, do you see a big swing in law enforcement? What changes do you see coming in law enforcement? So Murph, put on your Nostradamus hat, put on your... Um, Lord, I, I hope there is a change to get away from this defunding the police. Uh, you know, everybody wants to say, this is just uh, like a cliche saying almost, that police officers need more training. Most police officers get a buttload of training, and, and there's in-service requirements every year. The problem is whenever a government has an issue and they don't know what to do with it, they dump it on the cops. Police officers, I've been through, I went through the Western State Police Academy. I went through the DEA Academy. I've been through tons of in-service training uh, as railroad policemen as well as the other agencies. I never took a class on mental health issues. That's not a law enforcement function. It shouldn't be. So stop dumping on the cops. Just remember what their job title is, law enforcement, not lawmakers not law interpreters, law enforcement. You know, when, I, when, when Morgan and I were younger cops, police officers had a lot of discretion on the street as to how to handle a situation. It's not black and white. It's, if you read our book, when I was 10 years old, I got stopped by the cops with my buddies for trying to break in a house. And the cops... They, what? Yeah, they, let what? Us, they let us make the decision. Boys, you can go to prison the rest of your life, or we can take you home to your parents. And we said, take us to prison, because we knew what the hell was going to happen when we got I home. didn't know I was on the podcast with a potential felon. <laughs> but, you know, so if we could, if we could get back to uh, allowing the police to do their job and utilize some common sense in situations, I think we'd be a whole lot better off than where we are now. And for those shitheads, I, I watched a video today, this morning, where a group, a police cruiser's coming through a group, and I'm going to guess it was Oregon or Washington State. And uh, one of those, you know, everybody's out there got a mask on, and they're they're taunting the police. And one guy runs and jumps up and busts the windshield on the cruiser. This policeman is there by himself and bails out of that car and chases that prick down. First of all, that's extremely dangerous because yep. those people out there, are, that's a mob. I'm You're letting your emotions get the best of your judgment. Yep. But in my uh, in my true opinion, the police officer did his job. Uh, and you just, uh, I was going to say, you kind of hope the guy resists. Hey, quit resisting, quit resisting, sir. You know, so you, it is illegal to resist even what is later termed a lawful, unlawful arrest because you, at the time you don't know it's unlawful, yeah. you know. So, but hey, no, but my thing, I'll tell you where one of the biggest problems I've seen, and um, one of my buddies I used to work with, uh, he is now the captain of the training center in Salina, mm -hmm. Kansas for the State Highway Patrol. It's getting qualified people in. Fewer and fewer people are going into law enforcement. And there is a danger. If you lower your standards, do you really want to deal with uh, police officers, state troopers, detectives, DEA agents, FBI agents? Um, who are only there because you lowered the standards so low that you're really what you did is you said, we're willing to sacrifice standards for bodies. Yeah. Uh, and that, that's to me, one of the biggest challenges there is if it's tough to get people, then guess what? It's tough to get people. Then it's going to be come up to the community to say, Hey, look, we've got to come up with the solution to figure out how do we make our community safer? Do you really want police officers out there who don't meet the standards, who 
a year ago would not have passed the background except for the fact now that you lowered the standards and say, well, look, a felony conviction is okay as long as you had it expunged from your record and it wasn't for anything violent. Okay, maybe the felony was burglary. Maybe the felony was um, um, uh, selling dope or something else. Do you really want somebody right. like that on your department? So, you know, hey, society... Uh, you know, elections have consequences. So that's one of the things I see there is we'll see. And to your point, Murph, a lot of people who are running on a defund the police have changed their tunes. Uh, they've tried to make it political. And let me tell you, here's the other thing too, inside baseball. One thing politicians do, and having been around DC area and Steve, you've seen this, you work with government enough, you see work politicians enough. What they do is they will create a bill and they'll put a lot of things into a bill, but they'll put one thing into the bill Mm-hmm. That just basically it's the poison pill. It's like, I can't vote for that. Yeah. But you have other things in there that would be good to vote for. So when the the first vote comes up and you vote against it, that's what they use in policy. You voted against this bill. No, I didn't vote against the bill. I voted against the little provision in the bill that says, hey, right. we're going to give everybody a million dollars and uh, we're going to raise everybody else's taxes to pay for it. If you vote for that, you deserve to be thrown out of office. Yep. I'm with you. But that's what they do. So, Fred, that's the kind of roundabout way to say that's the problem I see until we fix the political issues, uh, the community issues. One thing that would help solve this a lot is if people really embraced and understood the concept of community policing. The police are the public and the public are the police. You work together to solve Mm -hmm. common problems. Until we really embrace that, um, you're going to see crime go up. You're going to see less accountability. That's actually going to come into a question we've got from D. Thompson right after this. Steve. Oh so, yeah, yeah. I we're think ready, so, we're ready to blow up on this one too. Yeah. So let's talk about that. So D. Thompson has a good question. What's your opinion on DAs, district attorneys, and and or prosecutors who refuse to take off their blinders and focus on the facts uh, just to get a conviction? Also, your thoughts on the many wrongfully convicted prisoners that seem to have wait forever to get anyone to listen. So let's take this in two parts. So what's your opinion on the prosecutors who refuse to take off their blinders and focus on the facts just to get a conviction? So I'm not quite sure about the wording of that, but let me tell you this. If it's one of those things that's like, they should have blinders on from the standpoint is they should only be focused on the facts. They should they should not be focused on political agendas. Uh, they should not be focused on um, uh, the the flavor of the month, whatever it is. It's like these these no cash bail things. I think as you're finding out in in New York and other places, huge issue, huge problem. These criminals are getting back out. Not saying um, we're not going to prosecute. It got the district attorney, the San Francisco DA kicked out of office. Mm-hmm. San Francisco, probably the most liberal city in the United States, mm-hmm. kicked the DA out of office. Why? Because they were refusing to prosecute and hold people accountable for crimes. And not every crime, to your point, Steve, you got to have some discretion. But when you've got your own attorneys inside the office coming out against you saying, and they did this in LA too, um, uh, guy, what's his name? Um, guy, something or other. Anyway, the 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 DA down in uh, uh, L.A. They had their own people come out. Now he survived the recall. The guy in San Francisco did not survive mm-hmm. the recall. So people are rising up. But no, I think I think there's a danger. I want prosecutors to have blinders on only from the standpoint focused on the facts. Uh, do not allow outside opinion, outside influence. The community may be wanting blood. Oh, this guy did it. Let's hang him. I was just watching uh, Monty Python with my uh, middle son last night, Marshall. And there's this one scene in there where they bring this, Barner, she's a witch. She's a witch. Barner. Well, you can get the crowd. You can get the fervor. You can get this uh, you know, crowd mentality, the mob mentality. 
but a prosecutor should ignore all of that. It's not what the community wants. It's what do the facts say? Where do the facts lead you? And if the facts don't support charging somebody with a crime, they should not be charged with the crime. But if the facts do support charging somebody with the crime, they ought to be. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, the district attorneys and prosecutors have taken the same oath that we've taken to uphold and defend the Constitution of the United States. It bothers me. Misdemeanors, not so much, you know, because that's your lesser crimes, and especially traffic tickets and things like that. But when the felony is committed, it really bothers me that um, an attorney, because of their political opinion, makes a choice not to prosecute. Now, I will tell you, every prosecutor I've met in my life, I don't think I've met one yet that said, we've got enough evidence. They always want more evidence. They want the strongest <laughs> case that they can get. You cannot, a, a prosecutor sometimes is like uh, your wife, you know, or your spouse. You can never, you can never do enough to please them. It feels like sometimes. Don't hit me. Don't hit me. That's the truth. And they'll come out, you know, I've had a couple of prosecutors come out with me. We'd get getting ready for a big trial and they'll come out with you to talk to witnesses because, you know, they're, I mean, they're the ones that have to present all this. So and I'm fine with that because it shows interest on the prosecutor's part. But um, I, I haven't seen any who have, and I was a cop for 38 years, I never saw a prosecutor who uh, put these blinders on to get a conviction without looking at all the facts. If there was evidence to find the person innocent, well, then you probably wouldn't even prosecute. But I do believe that goes on because there's different levels of uh, professionalism throughout our country. And unfortunately, you know, we're all human. It's hard to keep your political ideals out of your career when you're involved in this kind of stuff. So, um, and, and that's, I, I'm with you more. I'm not sure if, which way she's asking this question. Uh, I just, I don't know any prosecutors that wrongfully, that purpose of, purposefully, is that the right word? Intentionally. There you go. Thank you. <laughs> I was going to say on purpose. <laughs> Convicted someone just to get a conviction without when they might have known there was evidence that would have uh, exonerated that person. And we all hear things in the news, but I don't know. And there are prosecutors who have done this. And if you've done this as a prosecutor, your ass ought to be prosecuted. You, you should not Absolutely. be sending... I hate to say it, but even if somebody is... Ob you think you believe they're obviously guilty and... But tell you what, system of justice doesn't say what you feel or what you think or what you believe. It's what can you prove. And, and the standard is very clear. Mm -hmm. Proof beyond a reasonable doubt. Yep. If you either got it or you don't. And if you don't have it, the person is not found innocent. They're just found not guilty of the crime. There is no finding of innocence. And, and as the, and, you know, as you're preparing to go to trial, the, the defense has the constitutional right to see all the evidence against their client. It's called discovery. And if you don't disclose everything, the judge can kick a case out because of that. You know, I mean, that's a big deal. So, you know, that you don't now as the prosecutorial side, we don't get to see all the evidence that they're going to present until they present it. We do get a, they do have to provide a list of witnesses that they want to call. But if they've got evidence to support their case, we don't get to know about that until the trial comes. So it's already kind of set up to, you know, give the defendant uh, as much leeway, I guess, you know, you, you, the last thing any of us want to do is convict an innocent person, which that's going to kind of lead us into D's second question here. Yeah. Well, and that's a good one too, because D also asks also your thoughts on the many wrongfully convicted prisoners that seem to have to wait forever to get anyone to listen. Um, 
Well, so there's kind of a thing. There's an out. We don't know they're wrongfully convicted until there's been a hearing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the hearing determines if they were wrongfully convicted. Now, sometimes th- there's two ways to look at this. Sometimes they were they committed the crime, but there were technical problems uh, in the trial, procedural problems, and uh, they couldn't overcome them. So they are acquitted. Now, that's one way of looking at it. But to your point, yeah, does it seem for a while? It's not that it takes so long to get anyone to listen. Let me tell you what's complicating that. COVID complicated that because it created a huge backlog. The number of people that are in positions, attorneys, judges, their caseloads that they're dealing with. I hate to say it, but man, it's just the wheels of justice turn, but they turn slowly a lot. Mm-hmm. And the the standard that you have to meet to get a hearing is 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 at a certain level. The standard then to get a new trial is even at a higher level. So um, those those things don't happen frequently and they don't happen as fast as maybe they ought to, but part of that's a function of it's the overwhelming number of cases and caseload that courts are dealing with now. Um, and they've dealt with for a long time. It's just after conviction, there is a presumption that is hard to overcome that you were convicted by a jury of your peers. Uh, you were convicted with proof based beyond a reasonable doubt. So it's very hard to go back and get now I'll tell you the DNA project has, has, uh, overturned a lot of convictions. Right. Uh, but DNA is not a silver bullet just because you have DNA. Look, you can commit a crime and not have your DNA on there. Not, mm-hmm. not every crime is. So the, the fact that somebody else's DNA is there, then we get into, was it touch DNA? How was it transferred? Things like that. So anyway, but yeah, I, I wish it would turn faster, but it, you, it could, if we had double the number of judges, double the number of lawyers, but that would raise your taxes a lot. So people, we make value judgments based upon here's how much I'm willing to give up in return for how much justice we're willing to uh, be able to fund. I would uh, personally, I, if, a, if there is uh, not because some uh, movie star or sports figure has gotten involved in it and brought things to the light, but if there is, if there's potential evidence that would exonerate somebody who's been wrongfully committed, uh, convicted and they're sitting in prison, I'm all in favor of making that priority. You know, let's get that in front of a judge as quickly as, as possible. I mean, we've all seen uh, on the news, even on America's Got Talent, there was a singer on there who was a phenomenal singer that was in prison for a number of years, wrongfully convicted for murder. And he wasn't, I shouldn't say phenomenal singer, he was a good singer. But his situation, you know, I mean, everybody, you could tell, everybody's heart bleeds for the man because he had to spend all those time, all these years wrongfully convicted, sitting in a prison away from his family, seeing his kids grow up, his grandchildren, all the things that go along with a normal family life. Um, I'm in favor of making that a priority. Let's, let's throw that up on the judge's calendar. And you know what? All you defense attorneys, if you get postponed, well, sorry, you're postponed. Yep. It's a tough thing, though, D. Tough thing. Uh, we is. don't want people to wait forever to get justice, especially people who were wrongfully convicted. Um, now, there's a difference, too. There's there's innocent people who are wrongfully convicted and people who actually committed the crime that are acquitted later because of procedural or technical issues. Two different things. My heart bleeds for the people who are innocent that have done time. I wish that would never happen. But right. um, so there, there's kind of stages there. So anyway, great question, D. As mm-hmm. always, Rick Jacobson. Always, and we'll have uh, we'll have the um, rapid fire coming up from Rick as well. That's kind of his signature thing he does with us. Rick Jacobson. I like it. What are your thoughts on elected on the elected official being arrested in Las Vegas? What could have been done preventer to prevent the reporter's murder? Um, 
I know something about this case. Um, don't know a lot, but yeah, I, it's it kind of the things is unless you provide protection, it's kind of tough to prevent if somebody wants to do that. Now, I know there's a whole lot. Um, uh, this guy, the, the, and I need to double check here while we're doing this, Murph, I'll use Al Gore's amazing internet and check <laughs> to see the guy shot himself. He was carried out on a stretcher. He tried to commit suicide. I don't know if it, he, it was a self-inflicted wound. I don't know if he succeeded. The ex-politician did? I hadn't heard that. Yeah. Oh. So, so this, just, um, this just came out in the news yesterday, didn't it? Yeah. Reporter, Las Vegas. Let's see. Um, politician I, I, arrested in Las Vegas. Reporter stabbing death. Um, the, so what happened was part of this too, is the Las Vegas reporter was working on another expose, um, the man in the surveillance footage. However, they found Jeff German, a, uh, veteran reporter who had covered organized crime and political corruption for Las Vegas, slumped lifeless outside his home. He'd been stabbed to death. So basically they ended up arresting, um, uh, began digging into Robert Tellis, a top public official in the region who lost a primary election in June, weeks after German published an expose detailing the hostile work environment during Tellis's time in leadership. So what you have right there, I think what Rick's getting at to, what could have been done? Could uh, this reporter have been a target? Absolutely. But the question is, at what, t- at, at what point does it constitute a credible threat? Look, if you're an investigative reporter in Las Vegas and you're talking about organized crime and public corruption, you're a target. You're you know, I've got a target on your back. Yeah. The question is, is there a, is there a, there's always a threat environment. Has the threat environment reached a level to where you can say, if this guy went out and said, hey, I'm going to go kill this reporter and the police knew about it and they did nothing to stop it, then you've got a problem. The question is, who knew what and when did they know it? And it just, there's not enough information out now um, that that indicates what that was. So mm-hmm. I, I, that's kind of a tough one to answer. But look, it's one of those things. Um, freedom of the press is is one of the biggest things that we protect, you know, here in the United States. And mm-hmm. it's, that's why it's part of the First Amendment. Yeah. So I don't know what to tell you. I mean, that that is a tough thing. Yeah, and what a jackass this guy must have been. I mean, if, if he's uh, creating a hostile work environment, nobody hates that more than a person to have to go in there to work. You know, and, and you think, well, go find a different job. Well, that's easily said, but it's not easily done sometimes. It depends on what your qualifications are, your age, you know, convenience, uh, you know, going, how far are you going, willing to go to, from home to work every day? That, there's a lot of variables that go in there. But the last thing you, that Las Vegas would want is this jackass back in there in a political office. If he's willing to go out and commit murder because he lost an election, and and think about this, shooting someone is something you can do at a distance. When you stab them to death, that's eye to eye. You're face to face with these people. You know, you're hands on. It takes a special person that's willing to do that, a special person who needs to be in prison if he's got those tendencies. There's not a lot of difference between him and the, the turd down there in Uvalde that killed all those children. You know, a murder is a murder. That's the most serious crime you can commit, at least in my opinion. There's some other people may have different opinions, but, you know, you take someone's life, that's it. It's not like we'll put them in the hospital and they'll be out in a couple of weeks. They're gone. That's permanent. Yeah, just a quick update, too. I found some uh, things coming. The Las Vegas police put out. They said TELUS was upset about articles being written about German as an investigative journalist that exposed potential wrongdoing. Uh, they took him into custody following an hours-long standoff at his home. He was hospitalized for what Clark County Sheriff Joe Lombardo described as self-inflicted wounds. So apparently not uh, fatal, <laughs> obviously, uh, and not serious enough. He was taken into custody, was carried out on a stretcher, and now he's in jail. 
And he's, <laughs> this is kind of morbid to say, but he's so damn inept at what he did, he couldn't even kill himself. No, they got DNA underneath the finger. So it was up close and personal. Anytime, let me tell you the other thing too, uh, Rick, anytime you have a stabbing uh, with something like that and it's up close and there's multiple stab wounds, one of the things you look at just from a victimology standpoint is that that is stabbing somebody up close like that is a personal yeah. kind of offense. And so you start looking at initially, if I were investigating, my first thing was be, who does he have a contentious relationship with that would want to do something like this? And obviously, that's one of the things that TELUS uh, rose to the list because of the recent investigative article. So it was quick work. It was good work done by those folks. I don't know what could have been done uh, better. Um, I don't either. Uh, other than, you know, the reporter, uh, one of the things, what could have been done better is, you know, maybe these news organizations, especially investigative reporters, ought to do security awareness training as well. Because just like you do with women about how to stay aware and how to protect yourself, um, there could be some cases or some classes and training that you could give to reporters. But uh, the police have a duty to protect Everybody, not just a single individual. So, I mean, their duties to the community, not to an individual. So, it's tough to say what could they have done. Uh, quite frankly, Rick, uh, don't know. You know, and here's one thing: I preach this to my kids, and I'll preach it to anybody that listens. Be aware of your surroundings, especially if you're if you got a job like that reporter that you know you are pissing people off, especially the mob, the mafia. Uh, you should consistently be aware of your surroundings. And I saw a picture of of this the the murderer in this case. Uh, with the garb he wore, he looked like he had on a reflective coat or a vest, like a, a street worker, but then he had on this big floppy yellow hat. Well, if he's coming up towards you, if somebody's coming directly toward you with a purpose, you know, you should start turning and face those people and find out what the heck are they doing? Why are you coming at me like this? Because that's not normal behavior. You're looking for things that are uh, abnormal is the reason you stay aware of what's going around, uh, going on around your your space there. So hey, and here's I mean, a we all have too. we all have a certain responsibility here. Yeah, and I just found a quote too. This actually comes from the paper and this will let you know was there anything the police could have done? If there was, I think the paper would have called them out on it. But they go, uh Glenn Cook, the executive editor, said, We are relieved Robert Tellis is in custody and outraged that a colleague appears to have been killed for reporting on an elected official. Journals can't journalists can't do the important work our communities require if they are afraid a presentation of facts could lead to violent retribution. We thank Las Vegas police for their urgency and hard work and for immediately recognizing the terrible significance of Jeff's killing. So I think if there was something the police could have done, this paper would have called him out on it right away. So yeah. in this particular case, uh, I don't think so. So uh, so Hayden, but it's tough. We, we don't want that stuff to happen. Uh, next part of his question, with the war in Ukraine continuing, will there be a ratcheting up on the UN side to end it? Well, I think right now everybody's waiting for the United States to see what the United States is going to do. Everybody's putting the burden on us. Yeah, we can come up with $8 billion for Ukraine, but no money for the state of Mississippi to fix their water problem. We just say, boil your water. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? I mean, uh, uh, I know we're, we're like the, the world police here when it comes to things like this. And believe me, I, we've got it on our way, on our DEA Narcos website. We support Ukraine here. You know, so we're not anti-Ukraine. We interviewed a guy just yesterday who won't be on for a few more weeks, but you guys are going to love him, who is involved in rescuing 
people in other countries like the Ukraine. And he, he, he's going to tell you a story about going over there and just helping out 200 Ukrainians. And that's probably our longest or second longest episode we ever done. We were two hours into this and didn't realize we were two hours into this. Oh, it's you're, you guys are going to love it. I'm telling you, man, that was – my wife thought I was crazy when I came out yesterday because I was fired up. Boy, oh. I tell you what, that was – he's an inspiring um, – I'm not going to say young man because he's not young anymore, but his story is unbelievably expir- inspiring. Expiring. It's expiring. <laughs> expiring. That's humor. But no, Rick, so don't know. I mean, will there be a ratcheting up? Look, quite frankly, I think the UN is feckless. I don't think there's anything the UN can do to stop this. Because why? Because Vladimir Putin doesn't care about the UN. Mm-hmm. They're a permanent member of the Security Council. They can veto any resolution that comes through. So, uh, and so could China. Uh, but I think tactically and politically, China would either abstain. Uh, I don't think they'd vote for it, but uh, but they would definitely abstain from voting if something came through on this. Uh, f- further stuff, I should say, with Russia. So, um, yeah, I just I don't think I don't know that the UN will do anything. I just uh, the UN, quite frankly, is toothless. Um, I agree. I agree. I, I think it's one of the biggest wastes of money. I think we do need an organization where we bring countries together so you can discuss things, but. Go to New York City. If you're next time you're in New York City, go over and look at the UN compound. We front, we front, well, I almost dropped the F bomb there, didn't I? We front all the money to keep that damn thing going. I mean, other countries contribute, but we're by far. Not at the level they need to, yeah. We're by far the biggest contributor to that. It's just, I mean, it's just a. I would prefer that they move the UN somewhere else, move it to The Hague, move it somewhere else, let let somebody else deal with these problems. Let people like Mahmoud Ahmadinejad, who was the president of Iran, a state terror sponsor, who came over to the UN and then was allowed to go to Brown University and speak to them. Hey, make that somebody else's problem. Um, You know, we don't, anyway, that'll be a whole different thing. So, but anyway, uh, long story short, Rick, don't know. I just, but I don't think the UN will have any power over what's going on in Ukraine. Now, they might help broker a ceasefire or some humanitarian stuff, but only if Vladimir uh, decides to do that. Otherwise, he'll keep going to North Korea to get weapons. He'll keep pulling mm-hmm. people out of mental institutions, keep buying stuff from the Iranians, and this will keep going. He has to, he cannot stop at this point. He's too invested in it. Uh, it's called sunk cost bias in a a different kind of a different version of it, but no, he's committed to this. They have to do something in Ukraine. He's getting kicked out in some areas. The Donbass—they're doing some counterattacks, but mm-hmm. uh, don't know. Just my my advice though: move the UN. Anyway, yeah. Rapid fire, Murph. You ready? I'm ready. On chocolates, Hershey or Godiva? Both. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can afford Hershey. I can't really afford Godiva, <laughs> but I like it. Uh, if I could only pick one, I'd pick Godiva. Yeah. Would you? If I could only pick one. Have you been to Hershey, PA? Uh, no. When you go on the tour on those little Hershey buses as they're taking you to sites, they got these big plastic containers and they pass around different kinds of Hershey's chocolate. You could take as much as you want while you're on there. Oh, my God. Oh, no. No. I would be bouncing off the walls. I don't need extra sugar. Me either. All right. Murph, pizza or pasta? Ooh, pasta. Uh, pizza. Uh, and especially if you get it from Fireworks Pizza in Leesburg, Virginia, they have the best freaking pizza. It's called Guadalajara. Oh, but now I do like a pasta. If you go to um, Filomena's in Georgetown, uh, D.C. area, there Italian restaurant, the best fettuccine Alfredo you will ever have in your life. But I kind of so, like I like pizza. Pizza Guadalajara, where they sprinkle a little fentanyl on there for you, or what? No, that would <laughs> that would that would be the El Chapo pizza. There you no, go. Yeah, college or NFL? 
College, baby. College, no doubt. I just, I, I, we, well, you used to, you traders faster until you moved. We lived in the county, which now the new Washington Commanders, formerly known as the Washington football team, and before that, formerly known as the Washington Redskins. Bunch of prima donnas. I think when they get to the NFL, yeah, um, overpaid prima donnas. Um, yep. I don't like the direction college football is going with all the stuff that they can do now. I know they can do sponsorships now, and they've got the transfer portal. I'm just wondering what's going to happen with uh, college football. But, again, to me, still no comparison. We line up. Last week, game day started. My wife's down there with me. We're in the kitchen and in the front room. We're we're having our breakfast. We, and we're watching game day, watching all the lead-up to all the games. We're watching mm-hmm. a lot of the games. you know. So it was a full day of college football. We love college football. And you got your best friend texting you about – Who's getting ready to play? Did you see? You know what? And I was going to do this, but then when they lost, I didn't. I was going to wear my Ohio State T-shirt, my free Ohio State T-shirt, but I didn't do that to you. You could have, Murph, because that would have been worth what it was. It was free. It wasn't worth anything. (laughs) Uh, Okay. All right. Uh, Chinese or tacos? Tacos. Tacos. No, besides that, I'm not sure I want to do have anything to do with anything Chinese. Although I do like, we have a great place we order from. It's called Hong Kong Restaurant, but they have the best General So's chicken. So yeah. uh, I kind of make a, but no, when it comes to that, uh, in fact, we got a new place open here, Murph. You, uh, do you remember where the movie theater was in Brambleton, where the uh, Blue Ridge Grill was down yeah. there? Yeah. Yeah. So they opened up a brand new place across there we want to go to. It's called Rebel Taco. It's supposed to be really awesome. So nice. Rebel Taco. Okay. Vacation or staycation? Vacation. Have vacation. Working on Cancun as we speak. So uh, we'll be doing some uh, extra work to get episodes done so I can take off for uh, eight days and seven nights. And, And when I take off, folks, I do no work, nothing. You can't reach me. I don't take calls. I don't do emails when I'm out there. It's literally decompress, get away from everything. He won't even respond to me. Hey, but I I'll tell you that this. in any well, you should be used to that by now. <laughs> Kai and I have talked about living in Orlando. It's almost like living on vacation here. I mean, it's I'm, I really enjoy this. You enjoy it, yeah. yeah. Sig or Glock? Sig. And uh, it's funny because we had this conversation yesterday with the guy we interviewed, and he's he's a uh, what do you say? I'm an ambassador for Sig Sour. Yep. And I've got I've got two Glocks. I love them. But the six hours is so much easier to break down and clean and put back together. Yeah, uh, I've tried. If it was between the two, um, I'd say Glock. Um, I, I've got my Glock twenty three forty caliber. I really like it. Uh, I've dialed that thing in now. So when I shoot now, I mean, I'm like, I'm I'm getting good groupings mm-hmm. and not just sitting and doing target practice, but I mean, really coming up point shoot. You know, uh, drawing from the appendix draw, pulling the shirt up. You know, practicing that because when I do my everyday carry or when I carry. It's totally concealed. I, I nobody knows I have it, and that's the way I want it. So I, I you have to practice that though. So you practice uh, what you carry. So yeah, I like the yep. Glock. So yep. You know, my last multiple years, I carried a Sig as a, as my issued weapon, issued by DEA, and I had a, a baby Glock on my ankle, forty cal. So I had both baby, baby Glock, yeah. baby shark. Yeah. All right. Uh, kids or grandkids? Grandkids. Love my kids, but man, grandkids are so much fun. And then when you get them all sugared up, you can send them home. Send them home. Well, we're still working on grandkids, so we don't have uh, them yet, uh, but kids. Uh, so, But you can't have grandkids without kids, so I love my kids. <laughs> well, you know, too, and, and, and with grandkids, I think this comes with age and mellowing, you know, things that my kids as parents get upset about. My wife and I, we look at that and it's like, yeah, it's not so important anymore. But when we were the parents, it was important. It was important. All right. uh, Last one. If you were a WWE wrestler, what would your gimmick and name be? Uh, 
I started laughing when I read that question, <laughs> Rick. And I'm going to say my, my nickname in Greensboro, North Carolina, my initials are SM. And so they nicknamed me Stud Muffin there. So it's got to be Stud Muffin. <laughs> what would your gimmick be, though? Would you have like the flying uh, Murferoni? You know? uh, I don't know. I'd probably wear a thong out there or something stupid like that. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know. That's uh, the the amazing. Uh, maybe I would call myself the amazing Mongo, like Mongo the ancient warrior, Mongo from uh, Blazing Saddles. If uh, they come out there you, and fart, <laughs> that would be it, man. Sit on, <laughs> sit on your chest <laughs> and fart on you. <laughs> fart, fart you into submission. I like it. I like it. <laughs> All right, couple more questions here to go. Austin Wenslick. By the way, good good stuff as always, Rick. Rapid yes. fire stuff. Love that stuff. Austin Wenslick. First question we've ever had from Austin. Woohoo! Yay, Austin. Welcome. Have you guys ever had run-ins with military members? Yes. Oh, well, I, I did once as a railroad cop, but it was he was drunk. Yeah. I, all the military guys I've ever dealt with, except for that one guy, have been phenomenal. Now, see, that's the thing. There's a difference. There's run-ins or having contact. Had contact with lots of military people, had run-ins with a couple, and were, really where I had them at uh, when I was a Salina cop, we were located... 45 minutes, uh, you know, maybe 50 minutes away from Fort Riley, the base there. So mm-hmm. the soldiers knew that the MPs and Junction City police were all over Junction City. So they would start coming over to Salina. So we had a few run-ins with them, but it was very easily because when you picked them up, the paperwork was very easily. You held them on your, like, disorderly conduct or fighting or what charge. Mm-hmm. Then you'd call the MPs, and the MPs come over because there's a thing called dual sovereignty. You have civilian law and then you have the uniform code of military justice. Oh yeah. UCMJ. So you are you are subject to dual sovereignty. So they can charge you civilly and they can charge you militarily. So um we would just turn them over to the MPs and make them not our problem anymore. So but yep. really only a couple things and that was they weren't really run-ins with us as much as they were fighting with somebody else and we just had to break it up. But never I will tell you though there was one this was a former um guy who had been in um the special operations community and uh he he was mentally ill and so i don't want to say that was a run but that was the guy that um we looked at him we started to kind of go hands-on i hit him with the baton and it didn't phase him at all my baton flew off and it's like oh shit what'd i do (laughs) and stood back and he goes he looks at me says look this could go really bad but you know what fuck it he just turned around we hand if we had to fight this guy i was that was one i was really worried so that was kind of a run-in but that was that was one of those people we didn't realize it at the time what he was suffering from but um yeah it was was not good so but yeah that was my only run technically bad run-in was with that guy but it resolved peacefully yeah and the guy i had to run in with it was just he was drunk he was on railroad i was a railroad cop he, he supposedly pulled a knife on a railroad yard crew which was bad but when i got there he did have a knife in his pocket he didn't pull it on me or he probably wouldn't be with us today so he was only charged with trespassing but when i explained that to the court and they, this was in Norfolk, Virginia. So you've got all the the military bases there. They have a an officer sitting at a table down below the judge, and all the military people once they get that civilian uh, handling of their case, they immediately go to the military handling. And there's a thing called the captain's mass. Yep. And that's where the punishment gets laid out. And I'm sure what he the punishment he got from the military is much worse than the fine he got from the civilian side. Well, I can tell you, my mom used to be the secretary for the garrison commanders at Fort Riley, and those garrison commanders are two colonels that report then into the two-star general that runs the base, the entire base. And they got tired of having drunks, drunk driving arrests and fighting arrests. So they started, what they started doing is um, they would, if they had, if you were going to discipline somebody, they would call in the battalion commander, the company commander, 
the first sergeant and that person's uh, NCO, squad leader, and then that person, shit rolls downhill, buddy. So the guy who did the work, the guy who did the deed, um, he just stood there shit in his pants as the uh, either the colonels or sometimes the general would pop in and chew ass, and he'd start at the battalion commander. Then the battalion would go down to the company commander, who would go down then to the first you know. So it was like you did not want to be in those uh, ass-chewing sessions, so... I would not want to be on the receiving end of any of that. No, here we go. Final question. Final question. Brooke Wyatt, are there any choices made during your careers that if you could turn back time, you would have chosen differently? That one would be an entire episode. Because, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, there's always things you wish when you have the advantage of time. You look back and you go, I wish I would have done that differently. Cases you would have worked harder to get that one more break. Or an arrest you wish you could have made sooner. Um, I, I will tell you, it's we did a whole uh, episode on it, uh, case of the month. Uh, yep. um, the guy that we had for bank robbery ended up becoming, um, the Supreme court case. Um, we were literally 24 hours away from making an arrest on this guy when he pulled another bank robbery, um, and, uh, killed a guy during the commission of that robbery. So you could look at it and you go, you know, if you knew then what you know now, you could have stopped a lot of crime, prevented a lot of stuff. Now, I mean, there's probably some career choices, like would I have done something earlier or sooner, uh, taken a job somewhere else, done something different? Hard to know because, you know, it's one of those things. Every choice I made led me to where I'm at now. Right. So uh, good. that's a good philosophical question. I don't know that we have quite the answer for you, but uh, um you always, if you have the advantage of time and if you have the advantage of knowing what the outcome was going to be, would you go back and change things? The danger is we don't know enough. If I change something, would it change where I'm at now? Would a child not have been born because of a decision I made? One of my own kids. Would I have not been married to the same person I am now? So it, it's hard to know what the impact of those choices would have been. True. And the only one that comes to mind for me is the way the, the initial uh, Escobar investigation was handled when we had that crappy colonel at the search block at the beginning. Um, if I could do it over again, we would have gone back. We would have gone back to the ambassador, the U.S. ambassador, and complained much quicker than we did because I think we could have probably had Escobar in custody within the first three months, probably within the first three weeks. But the, the colonel that was assigned there, not Colonel Martinez, but this other guy, I won't mention his name. We called him Pajamas because he'd wear his pajamas at nighttime. <laughs> and if you listen to our Patreon episodes, we do mention his name. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the only one I can think of. I'm sure there, I'm sure I made some decisions that I could have done better when I was a young police officer, but we don't have that much time. No. But, <laughs> no, but yeah, but no, Brooke, that's a good, I, everybody sits back and looks back on it. They go, only if, if only I had done this different, if only yeah. the things that always stay up and haunt you are the ones that if it involves the loss of life or things you could oh. have done to change things. Yeah. The one I just hit me that I would have shot, you know, those guys that shot Kevin in 1989, my partner in Miami. Yeah. And then when I stepped out of that bedroom door, I should have shot both of them right in the back of the head, but I didn't. It wouldn't have saved anybody. Everybody was, well, it would have saved the informant, but Kevin would have already been shot. Yeah. So, yeah, no, those are, t yeah. Hindsight's twenty twenty. Well, I think about that too. There's a couple times, uh, yeah, you're right. Should have pulled the trigger, um, but yeah. didn't. Might've changed things anyway, but that, that's, 
that that's a tough question, Brooke. Don't know if we can give you the right answer for it, but mm-hmm. that is the answer. So, and we do appreciate the question. We appreciate it. So, hey guys, we actually were, were word. Could we have an hour's worth of stuff? And we did. So we we finished up a little over an hour. But great questions as always. We really appreciate it. We appreciate you guys absolutely joining us, being a part of this. And so, thank you to Brooke, to Austin, to Rick, to D, to Frederick, and to Sandy for all your questions this time. Want to say thank you guys. Thank you for being patrons. Thank you for being Patreon uh, members, and thank you for being players. And guess what, Murph? Thank you for playing the biggest, baddest, right, most dangerous game of all, the original, unadulterated, only of its kind, Game of Crimes. 